Hey, Nova families, need childcare? Let La Petite Academy help. With 13 locations nearby, we've got you covered. Your child will love our full-day summer camp. It's packed with hands-on STEM projects, exciting activities, lots of outdoor playtime, plus healthy meals and snacks, too. School-age students even get to take field trips. It's big fun for them and peace of mind for you. See it all with live streaming video in our Sproutabout app. Sign up at lapetite.com. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Welcome back, everybody. And we have a special Deal Board episode to bring to you today. We are talking about why you should take the first offer or first buyer that inquires on your business. Right, Andy? Yeah, we were talking about this before we started, and we've been looking at a bunch of articles. And our experience is that the first buyer could oftentimes be the right buyer. But there are several reasons why you shouldn't take the first offer. And so first, let's talk about why you shouldn't necessarily take the first offer. And then we'll, we could go into why you should take the first buyer. Yeah. So, I mean, to back up a little bit, when when you list your business for sale and you're working with a broker, there's going to be a number of buyers that inquire in the business. And we're, we're moving forward through that stage. And now we're at the point where someone's made an offer or a letter of intent. Um, they've indicated some interest in your business. So you get that first offer. Why do you not want to take that first offer? Well, the first thing is uh, one of Andy and I's favorite negotiating techniques is some buyers use this term called anchoring, right? They'll set an extreme anchor. They're going to make an offer that that makes you uncomfortable, um, that really probably is less than you want to see for your business. Maybe it has more seller financing, but they're trying to set the extreme anchor. There's movement to be made, but they're trying to, you know, start basically start low and see how much further that they can get you to come down from your purchase price. Yeah. Call it low balling, calling, call it whatever you want. They're testing the waters. And oftentimes, one of the reasons why people don't get through the first buyer is because they, they, they immediately get offended by this first offer, which is something you absolutely can't do. Don't get offended by this offer. Make sure that you're listening and understand that it is an extreme anchor. And extreme anchors actually work. Uh, they work to make you feel better once the offer goes up a little bit. Uh, we understand this. We'll see it for an extreme anchor. But that's one of the reasons why you might not necessarily want to take the first offer. Uh, another reason why you might not want to take the first offer is because, you know, you don't know if there's something else around the corner. But we're going to talk about why there may not be something around the corner. And one of the reasons why there might not be something around the corner is oftentimes the first buyer through the door is someone that we've been working with for a while and may have lost other deals along the way, right? Right. Yeah. So th this buyer might be heavily engaged, motivated. We've already vetted them. I think 
the the first thing you need to remember, and like you mentioned, Andy, is like don't get offended by this first offer and realize that there's next steps that you can take before you say goodbye to the buyer, right? Um, this buyer has been vetted probably by your broker, if it's us or somebody else. Um, they may have made other offers on other businesses, like you've mentioned. So we already have them financially qualified. Maybe they've done deals before and we know um, that they are good buyers, meaning they're going to follow through on the transaction. So, and that, that happens a lot in this industry where you have buyers that not only inquire on multiple businesses, but will do multiple transactions or buy multiple businesses throughout their career. Yeah. And with the speed of things uh, heating up in the marketplace through two, two things, technology, right? So technology is making it easier for us to have the right match, right? So the first mm -hmm. buyer might be the perfect match. And we're seeing that more and more often as people have preferences in their buyer profiles, as we understand what the buyers are looking for. So that first buyer that moves quickly may be the most organized as well. So that's, an, you know, another reason why uh, you might want to really consider that first buyer, even though th they may be professionals. And that, again, they may be the professional buyer, again, and they're working and they're always trying to work the deal price down. So that first offer might be low. But again, we're, we're here to talk about today about how we want to preserve that first buyer. Yeah. Well, I think another thing about the first buyers too is they're motivated, right? And when we talk about a motivated buyer, a, a motivated buyer is someone that, you know, has the qualifications, but they're motivated to get the deal done and get the deal done quickly. And so what you'll see is motivated motivated buyers jump on deals very quickly, right? There's actively searching in the marketplace, whether a professional buyer or not, they're actively searching on the websites, they're actively engaged with business brokers. And when they see a business that matches what they're looking for, they take action like that because they don't want to lose it and they don't want to um, lose the opportunity to purchase that business. So that motivation will often carry them through the deal. And it, sometimes if things come up that aren't great in due diligence, they'll work through those because they want to get the deal done, right? So that speed to offer and that speed to action, although it can seem a little bit premature and sometimes scary and like, oh, wait, wait, if we're getting an offer now, maybe we should just wait and see what other buyers come up. That might be the best buyer because they are so speedy. That means that they're going to work through everything and get the deal done fast too and not drive their feet. Yeah. And the other thing is they probably have money, right? So the mm -hmm. first ones that come through the door, since they're able to mobilize quickly, they already have their team together, right? They already have a lawyer or they've already done deals before. They know what they're doing. They're putting together the offer. And many times those are the people that have the money and they're yeah. not looking to a bank or coordinating. Oh, let me talk to my accountant. Let me talk to my banker. Let me talk to my partners that might give me money. These are the cash buyers. These are people that are that know time is money and they're willing to come forward on a deal very, very quickly. And they have the resources. And again, we always say, what's the best buyer in the world? The, you know, best buyer for a deal. It's not the highest price. It's the one that's going to close. Yep. And the one that's going to close has the money. They understand the marketplace and they're willing to make an offer quickly again. It probably is a low offer, but you shouldn't be deterred. Yeah. So you can always 
counter that offer, right? And and if we're working back to the beginning of the episode, you're not getting offended. Don't take it personally. It's business. You're countering that offer, working with your advisors to develop an appropriate counter. So you're not chasing them away, right? Um, but coming to a meeting of the minds of something that's going to work. And, and typically if that happens, um, they're going to be pretty responsive in, in your counter and you will get to a deal um, with these motivated buyers. Because again, they're interested in their business. They want to get a deal done. So what we want to share today too, is not just advice on why you shouldn't chase the first buyer away or why you should make sure the first buyer um, gets engaged and stays engaged, but also um, some cautionary tales we'll, we'll talk about, right? We won't call them scary stories, but cautionary tales of what has happened in the past when we've seen sellers refuse that first buyer and wait for a second or just totally say, I'm not working with that person because of that extreme anger. Yeah, one or two things usually happens in some of these first offer scenarios, right? So the the market, the, the business just came to the market, we've packaged it up, we go out to the marketplace and we get a quick offer. Again, the sellers are now hesitant because, oh my God, we have a new offer and we underbid ourselves and we need to we need to change the price. We need to go up in price. Obviously, you got this done too quickly. And the, you know, while all the things that we just talked about are variables within the buy side, there's a ton of variables on the sell side that happen. Life happens. The world changes. Things happen in the world. And we have a few cautionary tales. And the first one is about a business that we had in the education space. Mm -hmm. And this was a large business. It was doing about $4 million uh, in EBITDA. Uh, and it was growing. It was a, a growing business in the educational, happened to be a medical school, a secondary school for uh, nurses and other things. It was accredited. It was a nice business. Here's the problem. The problem is they had five owners, Oof. five owners, mm -hmm. right? So now we're herding cats and, and, and it was very difficult in these talks because some of them were more minority than the others. And there was a couple of majorities. So now we had five different opinions of what it should take to buy this business. Now we, our first offer was $15 million for this business, wow. which was a nice offer, right? Four plus million dollars. It was a four plus multiple. Now they had heard, and we love this when buyers and sellers, when buyers and sellers hear through a grapevine of what competitors got, they felt they should get more of an eight time to nine time multiple wow. on this $4 million. So they were thinking they should get $35 million and they weren't going to start talking until they got, you know, in the thirties. So this first buyer education space, uh, private equity backed strategic roll up uh, says, no, the price is 15. And they proceed to go away. And mm -hmm. basically they said, we're not even counteroffering. We refuse to counteroffer. Don't, that was an insulting offer. So the world happens, right? Two things are going on in the education space at the time. Um, the, the, the government changes the way that they're going to reimburse these secondary schools on student loans. Mm. And they're going to crack down on everyone, whether you're legit, accredited, 
doesn't matter. They're going to crack down on everyone who is getting student loans and, and, and for, for their students, right? So yep. all of a sudden now the private equity world or the investment world says, well, wait a second, we're scared of this education thing, right? Right. Second thing that happens is this company has a Google algorithm that is driving their, their student population, their student sales. Yep. And guess what happens? Google changes their algorithm like they do every quarter. <laughs> right. Google yep. changes their algorithm and their sales plummet. And in fact, their website is erased. It's gone. Oh my it, God. It is just blacklisted for some reason. Uh, because of their algorithm change, and maybe they were using excessive backlinking or paid backlinking. Who knows what the issue was? Right. But all of a sudden, they disappear and sales drop through the floor. So now they're scrambling, and the sales are driven down. They have a huge payroll. Uh, the student loans is drying up. So now the second offer we get is for $5 million. Oh. And they uh, and this is a couple months forward after struggling with those this company they take the five million dollar offer and we go into due diligence and it's just showing the company's falling like a rock so they renegotiate during due diligence to two million from and eventually it gets to the point where uh they can't close the deal and the oh, and the buyers just pull out during due diligence because they it's just falling through the floor. And eventually this company folds and this company goes out of business. So, you know, and to make a, a long story short, now I happen to run into that business owner uh, recently uh, and they have reformed and in, in a little bit of a similar space and they're doing very well again and she's building it up and uh, they think that they'll be ready to sell again someday, but this is, you know, many years before the pandemic and, you know, and those, those business owners, those five business owners are no longer together. So they all lost out on a very nice payday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunately it's not, that's not an, unco it's not an uncommon story. All the circumstances, right. Change between industry and business and things like that. But, um, life happens and the world happens. And we, we definitely know you can't control Google, right? Right. Yeah. And you I can't mean, control the economy. I mean, we've no, been talking we, about the economy for the last couple of episodes. We're going to talk about it again. Uh, you, you can't control what's going on uh, in world events. Uh, and, and we've seen it happen over and over again. Yeah. Um, and I have a different story to share speaking like you can't not control, right? So you think you can't control the economy, you can't control like macro events. Well, sometimes you can't control what's going on in your own, your own company or your own personal life. So we had a uh, consulting company. It was in a niche industry. Um, they grew like gangbusters. Like four years ago, they were doing a half a million dollars. And uh, when they came to us to sell, they were doing almost $6 million in revenue at highly profitable. I think they were doing probably 750 to 800,000 in EBITDA. So brought it to the market, owner absentee. I mean, we had immediate interest on this business, right? And the first buyer, super engaged, strategic buyer, but um, when he looked at the business, he said, hey, they've been growing 
really fast. There's not a whole lot of track record that this company can continue to do $6 million for the next few years because they've only done it once, right? So the previous year, I think they maybe did 3 million. So they doubled in size pretty quickly. So his offer was a conservative four times EBITDA, which again, if you look at their EBITDA 18 months ago, and then their EBITDA today times four times, they're making it a really good value for this business from just growing it in the last four years. Um, the owner kind of backed away and said, I, I think we can get more same thing. Like I would rather see like a six to seven times and declined the offer and moved away. Mm. We started searching for other buyers. They were coming in lower, figuring out the same thing. You know, the EBITDA is not stable over the last two or three years. Well, while all this is going on and, and this other deal could have been closed, it was like a 30 day close strategic, usually closed pretty quickly. Um, the COO had figured out the company was for sale. So the COO comes to the owner and says, well, I hear you're selling the company and she ends up disclosing um, that she is selling, which is a whole nother episode that we've talked about before of why you don't disclose to your employees. And he said, well, I think you're undervaluing the company. I think it's worth at least eight times. So we go back to the market and she wants to increase the price. And we say to say to the COO, and we're like, actually, you know what? If you think it's eight times, why don't you buy it? Right. Why don't, why don't you and the, I think it was the CFO that wanted to buy it. So they took a step back and they put together an offer and then they came back uh, about a couple of weeks later and they said, you know what, we're not going to buy the company, but we're going to leave and we're going to take all the clients with us and start our own thing instead. So they left. Um, they took most of the staff with them. Um, they violated confidentiality agreements, NDAs, everything they've signed. And uh, the company is barely in operations at this point. So awesome. building from the crown back up, um, obviously there's some legal action that the owner can take. But in the meantime, this other deal could have been closed. Yeah, it was only four times, um, but it was a good deal. It was a good buyer. Strategic understood exactly what they did. And and with the growth, um, he had a, he had a point, right? It was, it was so fast growing that sometimes it's hard to predict what the value of a company is when it grows that quickly um, because you don't know if it's going to continue or not. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about valuation a thousand times, right? It's yeah. it's an art, not a science. And a lot of it has to do with having the right buyer. Yeah. And and being able to eventually get a transaction done, whether it be, you know, with their own cash or with third parties like banks or private equity or whatever it is, and you have to get through an earnings, um, you know, a, a quality of earnings. There's so many things that go on in these deals that, you know, when you have a good buyer and you're talking to your broker and you're talking to someone at Transworld or even another intermediary that you're working with or your accountant, you have to be strong too as a business owner and realize what your goals are. We had another business, and I'll try to keep this story short, but it was a glass business, right? It was, it was doing construction big skyscraper glass. And this was in 2007. And that the business was doing about $3 million worth of EBITDA. And it was falling. It, it was 2007 at the end of 2007. And mm -hmm. the condo world and the banking world, it all started, we saw it coming, right? Yep. And this was a company out of Portugal uh, that was coming to the United States that said, we don't care we know the there's going going to be a pause in 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 building, but we're a glass company in Portugal. We want to come to the United States. We want to buy this, and the owner's wife said, 
No, you know, because there was now going to be a retrade inside of due diligence. And the owner's wife said no. And, you know, I looked at the husband and wife. He was 68 at the time. She was 65. And, and we said, why do you want to sell? And they said, well, we don't need the money, but we want to travel and enjoy the rest of our lives. And their investment advisor was sitting there with them. Yeah. And I looked at them and I said, so they just shaved off a million dollars off the off the price. Right. It's it's time to go. You yeah. said yourselves, you don't need the money. You're selling. Well, and she's I'm like, it, the, the, the world is going to take a pause. It's obvious like construction is going to con- contract for a little while. And she's like, we'll wait for it to come back. And I'm like, what's that? Three, five years. You know, he's going to be 68. Now he's going to be 72. And you're going to start the process over again. And you're going to sell now. In the crystal ball, looking back, that's what it would have taken. It would have taken five years. But yeah. who knows, at 73 years old, if he wants to go on a work, you know, the world tour and travel and be healthy. Because, yeah. again, life happens. So that time, we were able to convince everybody to move forward and good for them because, you know, this big company was able to ride out what was a very, very tough time. Yeah. And it not just take like five years to recover. I mean, if they could recover, like right. construction and trades to recover from 08, 09, that was a hard road that they had ahead. Right. So, so all these stories are just indicative of what we see and why we why we've been planning this episode. I don't know. We've been talking about it for a long time, and we finally put together some nice stories uh, beyond the ones that we just told uh, that we have for people to t- you know for for people to understand why it's so important. Businesses don't always sell. We've no. said that over and over again. Yeah, you're actually very lucky to sell a business. You know, in the in this country, very few businesses sell, and there's debate on the statistics, so we won't get into that. But um, we have so many of these cautionary tales, and and I get asked a lot, and I'm sure you do too, Andy. Is like, what are the biggest mistakes sellers make when going to sell our business? And and this is one of the big ones that we haven't covered in the show yet. So while some of these stories that Andy and I have shared, and we have coming up from some of our advisors across the country, they're not happy stories. Um, they're cautionary stories. And we'd love for you to just listen. Um, and if you're going through the process, think about, does this apply to your situation? And if you're not selling your business right now, just file in the back of your mind. Uh, this is probably this probably is going to happen, right? When you go to market, you're probably going to get a first engaged buyer. And there's that, um, what's that phrase or that metaphor? A bird in the hand is better than two in the bush, right? It's, it's, it's about timing too. Right. And and you might get a your first buyer engaged in the first week or two. And that seems like, oh, this is too fast, but you might not get your second or third buyer to appear for another four, six, eight, 24 months. Right. So sometimes you have to weigh that too. Yeah. And in that time of six, eight months, anything can happen. Anything can happen with your employees, as your tale told, anything can happen with you as we've seen before, where people get sick or they have to move on or they have partnership disputes, anything can happen with landlords or with demise or, you know, can rogue construction. We've seen it all. Yep. We've seen it all. And it really comes down to that. If you have an opportunity to sell and it's at a decent price and just don't walk away, uh, as you know, just stick with your trans world advisor and listen to us when we say there's no deal that's dead enough. We yeah. have to go in there and work on it. 
We could revive it. We could walk away from it for a week. We could walk away. From, I've seen deals be revived after six months. Yeah, so it can happen. So uh, we hope you enjoy this episode. We hope you learn a lot from it. Um, we've we're greeted or uh, we have a bunch of our advisors from across the country. So different stories. And as always, we have some listings of the week and some deals of the week, some positive closing stories to share with you as well. Let's do it. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for listing of the week. Welcome back, everybody. And today for our listing of the week, we have Steve Merritt from our Houston office of Transworld Business Advisors. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, Steve, you have a new business for sale. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Right. So this is a bar. Uh, what's interesting about it is uh, it's, a, it's off of a lead source that we've been working on growing for some time called Aluma. And so Aluma uh, is attractive to certain buyers because they reach out to uh, find value on their company. What is my company worth? And so the listing lead came over to me. I reached out to, to the bar owner and we sat down, had a great meeting talking about valuations. One thing led to the other, got the listing. But just high level, this is a bar that opened uh, during COVID. And uh, so their opening day was January 2020. And as everybody knows what happened in the suit after that, uh, most of the country went down and went through a shutdown. And so so probably about six months of the year, there there was no revenue for this bar. Yet they ended the year at $2.6 million in top line revenue, uh, over a half million dollars of profit, EBITDA. Uh, in 2021, this bar generated almost $5 million in sales and, and $1.7 million in cash flow. So, wow. So it's a bar, and it's a bar. What's interesting about it is it's it's a bar with with, with a concept where, where we're seeing more and more of that now, uh, where the bars have food trucks that mm-hmm. come in. And so, that, so, so they're getting away from trying to be the full kitchen restaurant bar type business, uh, re- realizing that 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 concept presents certain challenges and risks uh, when you're in the restaurant industry and focus just on bar, which is a very profitable business model. So they've done it really, really well. It's very nicely laid out. Um, the, the reason why they're selling this bar is, is primarily because of a challenge they have with, uh, with their investors. And they're, they're on to developing other bars. And so there's a great potential business relationship down the road for when they develop and want to sell their other bars, but uh, but that's the primary reason for it. And and so we price this closer to a multiple of four, so around a three point eight. So we're at we're going to ask around six point six million for it, and we believe that that that's supportive for a, a business that has such strong top and bottom line of the of this of this caliber. It's really hard to find comps in this category, mm-hmm. but. What makes it a strong listing as well is the uh, the business owner is also the landlord. And so we sort of control our own destiny. Everybody knows that one of the big block blockades potentially is, is a landlord challenges, and we won't have that with this listing. Wow. I mean, it sounds like a great business, Steve. I'm, I'm familiar with that concept in Colorado with the, the food trucks versus the full kitchen. But I mean, those profit margins are awesome um, in that business. And I think, so it's a four times multiple on the EBITDA, which sounds actually very reasonable at those profit levels. So this should be a pretty hot commodity for you all to sell down in Houston. But if we do have listeners that want to learn more about this business or perhaps others that you're selling in the area, how can they reach out to you? Great. So give me a call. My cell is 
2353, or you can shoot me an email uh, at S-M-E-R-R-I-T-T at tworld.com. So smeritttworld.com. Uh, text me if you like, uh, uh, or just visit uh, the Transworld uh, website and, and you can find me there. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, Steve, good luck selling this listing. I don't think you need luck. I think you'll you'll find the best buyer. And thank you for coming on the show. We look forward to having you back soon. Thank you. Great being here. Welcome back, everybody. And today we're talking about lessons we've learned about why you should take the first offer when you're listing your business for sale and just the different things that can happen throughout the deal process. I'm really excited to have my partner here, Patrick Bombardier from our Transworld Business Advisors of Colorado office. Patrick, you've been on the show before, but welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So you had a you had a client that this was um, very relevant with, with. They should have taken the first offer. So why don't you just tell us, start by telling us a little bit about the client and what happened. Yeah. I mean, I think we all know that, I mean, there's no, no such thing as a perfect time to sell. And there's really no such thing usually as a perfect offer. Um, and we usually try to advise people that, you know, we want to come up with the very best offer and buyer that we possibly can. In this situation, this was a co-working space that had been around for 25 plus years and had grown over the years. And um, we put this business out on the market. Um, We had a lot of interest in it. Um, It was making about $400,000 a year. He wanted to go out on the high end of the market, um, kind of against our advice, closer to like four times multiple. And we still got a lot of interest. um, And we got an offer, a cash offer from a buyer at 1.45 million. So really only $150,000 off of what his asking price was. And as he was considering the offer, he talked to his wife. His wife really felt like um, he really should work for one more year and gain the $400,000 that he could get out of the business and then sell it at that time, which is, you know, kind of a rationale we hear from time to time. Um, And she was going to be retiring in a year. And she thought, well, we'll both retire at the same time. No reason to leave that $400,000 on the table. Um, we, uh, um, and he really felt like he wanted that 1.6 million. And so we, I kept trying to tell him, you know, cash offers don't come along this, that often, this is a really great buyer. And we even met with the buyer and, and with the seller and, and the buyer basically said, you know, really want to buy your business. And he thought about it and, and declined the offer. And, um, unfortunately the part I didn't tell you yet is that that all happened in March of, um, of 2019. We all know what happened in the spring of 2020. And you know, I'm not here to say that there's another another COVID around the corner, but we don't know what's around the corner, right? You know, and, and so that business, of course, being a co-working space and the changes to people's working habits and office space needs really put him in a bad spot. And, and I talked to him about a year later and uh, he was going through some difficulty financially and, and uh, you know, we weren't, weren't able to revisit selling. So it was, it was kind of a, a bummer, but it, it, it kind of fits with the idea that maybe that offer that you have on the table is, is the best one. Yeah. Well, and it, it's interesting too, because it, it, it was a great offer, right? You said the business was a, a little bit, um, you know, high on the multiple you're asking anyway, you got close to asking price and an all cash deal, which I mean, we know rarely happens, right? So we're not talking about, you know, 50% offer or something like that. We're talking about a really strong, probably over market offer, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was. And I tried to make that point. And, you know, you always have to be careful to say, you know, trying to force them into something that they, you know, don't want to do. I mean, it has to be a good fit. But I remember saying to him, listen, I can't guarantee you that I'm going to come up with anything better than this. And I don't know what a year is going to mean to your business. Of course, not knowing what was happening, you know, going to happen in the next few months. 
Um, and he just felt like, yeah, I just, I just feel like I don't want to leave that money on the table and, and offers will be there a year from now. And, um, and so that's where we left it. And unfortunately it didn't work out that way. Yeah. And you mentioned like, this is, you know, yes, this is COVID related, but removing COVID, this is actually kind of a theme that we have with some clients and it's, it's happened quite often, you know, it tell us a little bit about that and how, how you translate this into learning lessons for our listeners and potentially future clients. Yeah. You know, I think it goes back to that same idea that we don't know what's around the corner, right? We've all, we've all sold as brokers, we've sold businesses for people who had health issues or something happened with their business where I had another example where somebody, they lost a, a key relationship, vendor relationship that, that severely impacted their profitability. You just don't know what the next challenge is as a, as a business owner. Um, we all know that there are problems with, you know, uh, potentially problems with hiring and supply chain and all those kind of things that you have to, to battle. You've got a great business now. You, you want to sell it and you get it, you know, uh, somebody who's interested in buying it, you know, you really um, need to consider that offer. And not to say that you're running scared and thinking about, oh gosh, what's going to happen a month from now. But think about, you know, nobody expected 9-11. Nobody expected the financial turmoil in 2009. I mean, those kind of th things happen. Life happens. And, and um so that's kind of the lesson that, you know, you take away from that is that sometimes that 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 offer you have in hand is, is a good one and there's no guarantee that a better one's coming. Yeah. What's the what's the metaphor? It's the bird in the hand, right? Bird in Versus, the hand. Yeah. Yep. But it, it, Worth it, more it, than two in a bush. Yep. Yeah. And it's true. You just don't know what's coming around the corner. And I think what we're talking about today is not like, like you said, Patrick, not forcing anybody into deals, but if you have a good deal and a really good offer, a good valuation in front of you in, the, in, in this first time, you know, you just have to weigh the risk reward of waiting because yes, it could go up. You could get a better offer, but it also, it could go away. It could go down. The business could go away, right? Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of risk reward you have to weigh. One of the things I, I try to tell people, and especially it comes up in the conversation of, should I sell now? And, uh, or also in the conversation of, well, I'd really like to get X amount of dollars. Sometimes the, the clients that we work for, their motivation for what sale price they want is more tied to what they need to get out of it versus what it's worth, right? We've all been through that. And so I try to tell them, I say, look, I'd love to sell this business for you, you know, two years from now or whenever it is. And, and, for whatever number that makes sense for you, but you can tell me whatever you want to tell me and, and I believe you, but if you have to look into your heart and heart, your heart of hearts and say, am I willing to grow this business? Am I willing to invest the people and the time to build the profitability of this business over the next couple of years in order to get to that sale price that I, that I want? And you can say it, but if you know deep down that that's actually not true and you don't have the energy, motivation and desire to do that, then your business is worth today as much as it's ever going to be worth. It's not going to be worth more. And so I try to, you try to is, uh, explain that to people that unless you're willing to put the, that effort in and really grow it over a period of time and show a track record that that's the new normal, your business is worth as much now as it ever, will ever be. Yeah, that's some great advice. So we definitely will part on that, Patrick. I think that's a really good um, soundbite for our listeners to play over and over in their heads when they're trying <laughs> to decide if they're going to sell or not. If someone wants to work with you, either buying or selling a business in Colorado, how can they reach out to you? Best ways to reach me through Patrick at tworld.com. Love to talk to you. Happy to answer any questions I can. All right. Thanks for joining us on the show again. We hope to have you back soon. Okay. Thanks, Jess. See you. Hey, Andy, do you know what time it is? It's time for our deal of the week. Deal of the week. 
Sold. This week, we have Tony Keen on sharing a deal of the week from our Transworld Business Advisors office in Houston. Tony, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Well, so I'm good, but you should be really good too. You recently closed the deal. So congratulations on that. Why don't you share a little bit about the business you just sold? Sure. It was a, uh, it was a franchised operation uh, that dealt with uh, basically math tutoring for uh, kids, you know, K through 12 type of uh, age range. And um, it was an interesting uh, um, deal just in the fact that we had a uh, situation where somebody had uh, owned multiple franchises, was looking to sell this particular franchise. And the, the franchise had originally been bought uh, for, uh, he was going to expand his family involvement in the, uh, in the business. And then the family decided, oh, you know, we didn't really want to do that anymore. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it was kind of an interesting deal from the start. But then uh, the, the store really never had a whole lot of attention. So uh, it was really basically a break-even type of uh, business operation. Yeah. So we were um, aggressively going after in terms of getting inquiries. Uh, the good news was is that the seller was willing to do some seller financing. And um, we were able to attract a, a first-time business owner who wanted something that was uh, semi-absentee that uh, was in a field that uh, they had passion for. So they had children so that were interested in this. And so it was, became a, uh, you know, a personal connection for the buyer. That's great. And we were able to structure a deal that had a combination of both uh, cash and seller financing. And, you know, then the, the, the challenges of the deal really end up being in the, uh, you know, dealing with national franchises that are uh, sometimes they, what they do is they, it's not that they are uh, difficult to deal with. It's just that they, there's all these processes that you have to go through. And of course, you've got a buyer and a seller who wants to sell quickly, and you've got a franchise or that wants to make sure that they're getting a good franchisee, which is understandable. So, you know, of course, you've got to go through all the training, all the disclosures and everything. So, you know, it was probably a long closing. It probably was about 90 days from uh, original from getting the contract to actually getting it closed. And then... Um, one of the other interesting aspects, you know, in this day and age with all of the things that have happened with the pandemic and all the SBA, uh, BPP loans and the EIDL loans, um, that also creates you know, challenges at times when you come to these closing of these deals. Well, this particular seller had uh, an EIDL loan and they had, uh, you know, in their mind, they had taken the EIDL loan out on one, a different, completely different location. So when we had earlier conversations, it was, um, you know, there was no encumbrances on this particular business. Well, right there before closing, it turns out that there was a, the, uh, the SBA had actually uh, filed their leads against all of the locations, not just the single location that the, right. the seller's mind in mind that had got the loan for. So then it was a, you know, very much a last minute hurry up and uh, get things sorted out to get the clear title and everything. But fortunately, uh, SBA came through at the end, uh, literally that morning that we were scheduled <laughs> to close. Good, <laughs> and we were able to uh, do the deal, and so um, it became a you know a win-win for the buyer and the seller. This, the the buyer got a business that they were had some passion and interest in, and um, and the seller was able to offload this location, and um, you know, and, and still be interested in the fact that they've got the selling out against it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a really great deal, Tony, but you brought up a couple really interesting points that some of we talked on the show before and some we haven't. One is the franchise. Um, and, and that is good for 
for buyers and sellers to know that it's just another party in the deal. And exactly. like you said, it's just, they're just making sure they're getting the correct franchisee, but it does add additional processes and time um, mm. to that. So if you're thinking about selling a business listeners, that's a franchise, just plan for that um, additional step. And then yes, the, the SBA, the SBA products we saw all during their pan- pandemic, the EIDL loans, the PPP loans, they're definitely a lot of special situations there. And Tony, as, as you mentioned, it's not always one size fits all. It's dependent on the situation. And I'm so glad the SBA moved fast for you all. Um, that's always good news. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I was pleasantly surprised. I really thought we were going to have to delay the closing. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So you mentioned that it was a break even, um, but what was the final uh, purchase price of the business? Uh, the, the final purchase price of the business, I think was right around 100,000, something like that. So yeah. It was a good opportunity. It, it would have cost them, if they'd gone out and bought the franchise, started from fresh, it would have been costing more money for that. Yeah. And Which then is there a are great learning lessons out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great so, learning lesson for buyers that if you're thinking about a franchise location, sometimes you can buy an existing one for less money than, um, you know, a brand new one. Yeah. Right. And you've got a good, you know, you've got a good revenue stream already in place from day one. So it, it can really be beneficial to the buyers to look for those types of opportunities. And, um, you know, also first time buyers, if they're getting into a, a business, you know, having a franchise system behind them is actually can be a good thing. Yeah, that's really, that's very true. So Tony, if someone's looking to buy or sell a business in the Houston area and would like to talk to you further, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, my email address is T-K-E-A-N-E at tworld.com or my phone number is 713-591-2768. All right. We'll drop that information to the show notes for the listeners as well. Tony, congrats again on the deal. And we hope to have you back on the show soon. Great. Thank you very much. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We are talking about the deal that got away that people should have taken their first offer. And we are with Robert Donovich from Transworld Business Advisors of Central Oregon. And he's got a good story. You had one that they absolutely should have taken the first offer. I do, Andy. It was uh, it was an interesting business, a parts, uh, parts business in the auto parts space uh, that did some service work. And uh, you know, they, uh, they, they wanted a pretty penny for it and gosh, darn it. We found the right guy. The guy came in with a full price offer, full price offer first buyer, And he got scared, right? You know, he, um, he did get a little scared and, uh, he, the structure wasn't exactly what he wanted a very slight difference. And so it just didn't, it didn't seem to make sense. And he had a lot of pushback, right? So he had a lot of pushback and was this the one with the attorney that got involved? Yes, um, it seemed to be that he hired an attorney that was looking at it from a single perspective rather than try to help his client actually achieve his goal. And unfortunately, he helped him out of the deal. So third party interference, full price in terms offer, maybe a little bit low on the terms, but is everything that he wanted. And what eventually happened? Did you sell it for him? Nope, unfortunately not. It was the one that got away. So it was the one that got away. We hear that all the time. Thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you much, Andy. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for Listing of the Week. Hey, we're back and it's Listing of the Week. And I have Todd Bailey of Transworld Business Advisors of Wichita. And Todd, you have a great new listing. I do. I have a great listing in healthcare. Everybody knows home healthcare is is booming everywhere as 
no pun intended, all the baby boomers are, right. are getting to that point. So we have a wonderful brand new listing in Wichita with a home health care business. They own 10 homes. They're all almost brand new homes. They have wonderful operations records. They have wonderful processes and procedures in place. And we just got that listing here in Wichita or in Wichita, Kansas, and we're really excited about it. So how much are they asking? Sounds like a pretty big listing. It's a pretty big listing. We've got it listed at $3.3 million. It's a pretty strong multiple, but it's a strong business and a strong market and a desirable type of business. So we're hopeful we'll get really close. Wow, excellent. Todd, what's the best way to get in touch with you? It's really easy. It's Todd at tworld.com. I got that before everybody started putting last names in there. So that's how long I've been with Transworld. Or you can reach me on my cell phone, 316-214-6875. Great listing. Get in touch with Todd. Thanks, Thanks, Andy. You bet. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We are talking sellers should have taken the first deal. And we're here with Julie Smith from Transworld Business Advisors of Central Oregon. You just told me a story off camera about a business that they should have taken the first offer. Absolutely. So picture summer of 2020, right in the midst of a pandemic, and you have a wine shop in the heart of downtown and uh, a cash offer that was actually almost 11 times SDE. And what ultimately I think happened is they thought they had their own buyer and thought, well, maybe we'll, we'll bring that buyer to the table and get more. And ultimately they had so much pushback, the buyers walked and it's still sitting there, not sold. Yeah. Today. I mean, even though they're, they're probably doing better than they were, of course, during COVID, but actually wine stores should have been doing pretty well during COVID. Everybody <laughs> was drinking. So we were all drinking at that time, but you know, even then all cash offer mm-hmm. first offer for the business, they panic, they get greedy and they, and they pull the business back and they probably thought they had their own buyer and or could have done better and they're still sitting there. Absolutely. And uh, a ridiculous multiple at that that they walked away from. So, I mean, an amazing multiple. Another sad story out there, folks. So take the first take offer. Take the first offer. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And we are talking that the seller should have taken the first deal. And we are with Kevin Everts from Transworld yeah. Business Advisors of Syracuse. Yep. And Kevin, you had a deal that the seller absolutely should have taken the first deal. Yes, yes. Um, they had it listed with another brokerage agency out of New York City that doesn't co-broke. They had it all of one lead over two years. They came to me. I'm a local presence. Uh, and within six months, we had some interest. Uh, they were asking 150. Finally got them down to a reasonable multiple of 135. And then the negotiation started. We were within $5,000. The sellers didn't, they felt like they needed that $5,000 because of their brand recognition. Um, Six months later, there hasn't been any other leads. Uh, The listing's actually expiring. And, you know, so that's, that's where it ended up. You know, people do that a lot and they think they should, they should get the deal and they lost it. Right. So this is may look like a deal that may never sell. So, and it's tough when there's not a lot of leads. So uh, they should have taken that deal. Correct. Especially on the smaller deals. um, They're, you know, less than 50,000 SDE. Uh, It's a lot of people's buyer match doesn't even show up for, for SDE less than that. Right. So, all right. Good lesson. Thanks. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? 
Almost. It's time for Listing of the Week. Welcome back, everybody. It is Listing of the Week, and we have Eric Mendelson from Transworld Business Advisors of New York, great big city. Eric, you have a new listing. What is it? Thank you, Andy. Um, actually, it turns out it's not actually a listing in the big city. It's actually this fabulous Italian restaurant about near Foxwoods Casino in oh, eastern nice. Connecticut nice. in New London County. So this is, this is the best restaurant in the town. has a huge bar, liquor license, and literally it's great for anyone who owns a restaurant, maybe in Rhode Island, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York. Um, it would be a great add-on. It's, it's uh, priced at $1.45. Um, sales is about $2.35, and the SDE is about $7.11, so we're about two times SDE, so this is a fantastic buy for any buyer. Yeah, sounds like a great deal. I mean, those, those things near the casinos do very well, those businesses, and, uh, and we've seen that before. Maybe we find someone from Atlantic City to go up to Foxwoods, right, to have a little chain of Italian restaurants? Yeah, maybe? I mean, that would, that'd, be, that'd be a great add-on. All right, if, sure. you're, if you're out there and you want to contact Eric, what's the best way to do that? Sure, my, uh, my cell is 516-840-3516, or my email is emendelson at tworld.com. That's E-M-E-N-D-E-L-S-O-H-N. Excellent, thanks, Eric. All right, thanks. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And we are talking about people who should have taken the first deal. And we have Bob Dunphy from Trans World Business Advisors of New York, New York City. He's live from New York. Uh, you, if you're on video, you could see uh, the Empire State Building right behind him in his oh, Transworld yeah, logo. There you go. So, uh, Bob, welcome. And this is this is a topic we really wanted to to cover because a lot of times the first offer is the best. Yeah, and I, I tell people that all the time. I had a, converse, a couple of conversations this week, and I sort of, you know, one of the things that's sort of been my initial conversation with people. Um, and thanks for having me, by the way. So, yeah, I had a, a two two businesses that I work with that, you know, they they constantly wish they could have, you know, some of those deals back. Uh, each of them actually had multiple deals along the way: turn one down, get another; turn one down, get another. Um, but the first one, in both cases, you know, was the best one. Um, above asking, uh, and they, you know, rejected them for different reasons. One was in the hospitality business. The other one, you know, sort of not rather not say which industry it's in. It might be a little obvious sometimes, um, but they had, they were, and they were big deals. And I actually had them both in deals at the same time with, uh, you know, offers in excess of $6 million each. Wow. On cash, cash flows of about a million three for each one. The EBITDA or the SDE was about a million three got them offers of about 6.3. And, um, you know, in the one case, the, the owner turned it down because uh, he was concerned about the, the earnout component in it. It was 15% of the deal. So mm. $900,000 on $6.3 million. Uh, and he was going to continue on in the business. So he actually had more control than most sellers do um, when there's an earnout component in the deal. And he just couldn't couldn't get over that hurdle and and and, and get the deal done. Uh, we got a couple more offers on that. After that, you know, another one had a seller note he couldn't cope with, and then the third one, unfortunately, was just getting rolling when when the pandemic hit, and, right? And that should have put the brakes on everything. Um, 
And the other one was, you know, a similar size offer, about $6.3 million, some consulting fees in there for the owners. So they're going to be around for a little bit. So they're going to be involved in the business. Um, but we had a, a, a bit of a tense meeting with the seller and the buyer. And uh, they decided that they didn't want that buyer to own their business, hmm. uh, that they didn't like their way they behaved and they decided to cancel the deal. So, you know, the next deal was that was six, about 6.3 million as well. Uh, the next deal was five and a half. The next deal was four and a half, then four and a half again, then four. And then the pandemic hit and it's not even a million. You know, so, right. so it's a really been, a, you know, in both cases, the pandemic's taken a great toll on those businesses. So they have, and they haven't recovered yet. Um, you know, but they, you know, the, the lesson that I was hoping that they would take away is that, you know, no deal is perfect. Right. You know, and, and, and it, it, it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be things about it that you're going to like, there's going to be things about it that you don't like. Um, you know, but if you keep looking for perfect, you're never going to get a deal. Right. Um, I don't think you're going to get a deal. Maybe it's out there somewhere, but, um, you know, there's, you're going to have to, you know, um, just, you know, hedge your bets a little bit. You know, you have to compromise a little bit and, uh, and, and get the best deal you can and, and move on because the next one isn't going to be better. We're always optimistic as a, as, as, as a, as a people are optimistic. And right. it's like, well, you know, if we got this one, we can do better. Uh, it just unfortunately doesn't work that way. Well, especially when it's early, right, in the game, when you, when you just listed it and the first, you know, they, they think, wow, you got one that quick for that kind of money, especially the one that came in over asking price. The person probably was asking themselves, I should have asked for more, right? Right. Exactly right. Yeah. And uh, now they they give anything to have, you know, the, the second offer, which was lower than the first uh, in that case. So yeah, you know, it's so unfortunate. Yeah, I was just about to ask: Do both parties regret not taking the first offer at this point? I I, I know the 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 hospitality guy does, you know, because there wasn't anything, you know, the 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 the, the personalities in the deal were great. Everybody was nice with happy with one another, and all that. I don't think that the um, the other business owners were unhappy that they they turned that deal down, other than from a financial standpoint. Um, but I think they were wrong in their assessment. I right. think they took they, they they were reactionary to one meeting, um, and and at the end of the day, that you know the 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 buyer was really not going to be like that all the time. They might have been a tough boss a little bit. They might have been you know hard on numbers and you know a lot more business oriented than they these folks were. But um, I don't think they were going to destroy the good name of their business. You know, in the first year that he owned the business. Kind of thing, which was their concern, right? So now they're now they're facing potentially just closing it down and not getting a deal at all. So I'm not wow. sure how the other way wasn't better. Right, from six point three million dollars with a fifteen percent earnout, you said. Uh, well, the, the, that deal, the, the first deal, the one where they, the hospitality guy was sixteen, yeah, six point three with a fifteen percent earnout. The other one didn't have an earnout at all. It, it just had cash. consulting fees. There was wow. cash, family office, um, and there were some consulting fees in there that they're going to get paid, in, you know, some extra kicker money for another couple of years. Yeah, and uh, and now they might get nothing, you know. And- uh, the the hospitality guy is 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 working on rebuilding it. He just needs uh, he just needs the office workers to come back to to Manhattan, 
a little right. more because we're, you know, we're only still doing like one, two, three days a week for a lot of people. And uh, the other folks, not sure they're going to survive the summer if they don't get this deal done. Right. All right. Well, that's, mm-hmm. that is two excellent lessons. And uh, your first offer may very well be your best offer. So Bob, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do do that? Uh, very simply, uh, my, my cell phone is my main number. It's 917-589-0977. Email um, bdunphy at tworld.com. If you just type Bob Dunphy into Google, I usually show up pretty 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 high on the list there. There's, there's only one other guy that I compete with, and he doesn't do what we do. There you <laughs> go. So congratulations, and hopefully we get these Thank deals you. done. Thank you. So thanks for coming on today. We really nice. appreciate it. Yep. Thanks. Bye. Have a great day, Andy. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends on social media. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions, would like to appear, or have suggestions for topics for the show, get in contact with us through our website, thedealboardpodcast.com. Hey, Nova families. Need childcare? Let La Petite Academy help. With 13 locations nearby, we've got you covered. Your child will love our full-day summer camp. It's packed with hands-on STEM projects, exciting activities, lots of outdoor playtime, plus healthy meals and snacks, too. School-age students even get to take field trips. It's big fun for them and peace of mind for you. See it all with live streaming video in our Sproutabout app. Sign up at lapetite.com. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.